theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. I'm Jennifer. And this is part two, episode 45, The Georgia Massacre of 1973. And we are going to jump right into the crime. We left off when the group basically stole Richard Miller's car and he's missing. Yes. So listen to episode 44 if you have not before listening to this one. Yeah. You'd think that makes sense. You don't don't want the backstory. You can't arrive at part two and expect to know what's going on. Don't be that person. No. (laughs) I was telling you yesterday that when you hear about what happens... It's going to be surreal. Like You're going to hear about it, and to envision this actually happening in real life, it's just insane, but it's something that really happened. On May 14th, 1973, the Alde family was going through their typical daily activities. They were known in the neighborhood to be the embodiment of decency and the epitome of a good neighbor. They took pride in helping others and like working hard. And you said they were farmers, right? Yes, Throughout history, it sounded like that family was into farming, being part of the land. They liked the outdoors and just wanted to be, you know, good people. So Ned and Ernestine Alde eloped in 1935 and became parents to nine children. That's not a lot after we heard part one with 12. I know. But you hear this and I was... Deciding you're never going to be a farmer. (laughs) Or having nine children. (laughs) But... And Jennifer's like, how do I not have nine to 12 children? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think back in the day, isn't that what people really did anyway? They had kids all the time so that they could Like help. farm hands. They really did. One of my grandmothers grew up on a farm and she had a lot of siblings. That was just the way they did it. Yeah, they, you just keep popping them out. I'm as... trying to imagine you with nine children. Like, how would you even hold them? I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> so see, now you're not looking so bad at part one when she was like, listen, you take the children. I'm going to go to the bar. What are you saying? Are you saying that I'd be the person at the bar? <laughs> You'd be at the coffee shop, not the bar. Okay. I need caffeine, obviously, to take care of all these kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you'd be a delinquent mother, but I think nine children... It's a little scary. It would be scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You'd sign up for that. Nine's a lot. I mean, I could have done four. I have three. Four? But not nine or 12. I would say no to nine or 12. (laughs) I feel like that's a lot. You kind of want to invest in each child. And I bet there's some moms that could do it. I just don't know that I could do it. That's a high caliber of a mom. You know, I feel like my attention, I really want to focus on each kid. And I mean, you could always have a ton and not focus on them as well. And but they all just feel like neglected. they're not loved. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. do that. No, I, if I'm having kids, I'm committed to raising them and knowing them. Okay. So you're not going to be like the female Nick Cannon. No. Who's like <laughs> no. spreading his seed everywhere. <laughs> no. There are three children that I birthed and that's it. Done. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, the oven is closed. Shut down. Yep. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well... 
they worked hard and they saved up until they were able to afford a farmhouse with a large farm on River Road. That sounds great. I just want to say. You think so? Well, you know I love farmhouse stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, just the house, not the nine children, but... Or the farm? Well, if there was, like, chickens and a goat or something, that'd be cute. Okay. I could get into that. Some light livestock. Light livestock? No horses. No cows. No cows. That's a lot of maintenance. You know, maybe a couple goats and then some chickens. I mean, you have a lot of land, so you could potentially... could put some goats and chickens on that land. That's true. (laughs) You could be... Living your best life on your farm. I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. In your farmhouse. <laughs> Maybe in 2023, right. <laughs> By 1973, their property was a working farm with animals and crops. I'm pretty sure it was bigger than the one that you, you're you envisioning. Uh, crops sound great, too. Like small crops. Go ahead. <laughs> Everything small. Yeah, just small. Low maintenance. <laughs> Ned and Ernestine lived with their youngest children, Faye and Jimmy. Their son, Jerry, married Mary Campbell in 1970, and they moved into a trailer a few miles down from their parents. Their other son, Chester, who they called Shuggy, lived with his wife, Barbara, who he married in 1969, in a trailer that was parked only a few yards from the farmhouse. The family was considered hardworking, and they were religious churchgoers. Ernestine spent the morning preparing meals for the family and doing household chores. At noon, the men arrived for lunch. They blessed their food and talked about the farm. Apparently, I mean, as you can imagine, this is like 500 acres of land. Wow. So they, you know, have a lot to talk about. That's that's business talk right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's never ending, as you can imagine, the work that needs to be done. And they didn't mind it. So Ned and Jerry were plowing the field, while Jimmy planned to finish plowing a different side of the field and then would start plowing the land uh, by Jerry's trailer after lunch. Shuggy joined in with his uncle Aubrey, who was Ned's brother, on a tractor borrowed from a neighbor. They finished up around 1 p.m. to get back to work, so they left Ernestine to finish up around the house. Around that same time, the fugitive brothers and George were driving around Seminole County. They were running low on gas and needed to find a place to rob quickly. Because of the remote location and based on the small police department, Carl figured that they'd have to find something in that area. Around 4 p.m., they came across a trailer on River Road that belonged to Jerry and Mary Melday, which had a gas pump on the property. For all the farm equipment, I'm sure. Right. Carl and Wayne broke into the trailer while George and Billy kept watch in the car. Once they saw a blue Jeep approaching with two men in it, Billy warned Carl. So Jerry and Ned had pulled in, in Jerry's Jeep, and they typically met at Jerry's after finishing work on the farm to plan what they were going to do on the farm, while Mary worked on her flower garden. Sounds like a peaceful life. Yeah. Ned was struggling with arthritis in his body for a while, because he was older at this time, and I mean, after working manual labor, that takes a toll on you, right? So his family was sensitive to like help him around. Carl and Wayne knew they had to do something about these people if they were unable to escape. So they're in this trailer and they're basically like... Do they have weapons? There are weapons in there and they do have weapons on them as well. Okay. So the, the weapons that the family had, they, there was a shotgun in there, I think. But, you know, they go there. Their intention is to rob them to see if we can get some money for the road and then get gas. Because they they're trying to make it to Florida. Yeah. 
So when they see these two people come up, they're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like we are on the run right now and they're probably going to go to the authorities if they see us. Wayne insisted to Carl that they needed to kill them because they would turn them into the police. As Jerry was helping Ned out of the car, they were met by Carl, who ordered them inside the trailer at gunpoint. And this is Ned and one of his sons. Yes. Okay. Like, this is Jerry's trailer, so... It was Ned and Jerry? Yeah. Okay. So, as Jerry was helping Ned out of the car, they were met by Carl, who ordered them inside the trailer at gunpoint. He told them to sit down and empty their pockets. They emptied out some change, a lighter, a wallet, and a pocket knife. While Jerry was trying to help his dad... He begged the men to take whatever they wanted and to please leave. He knew his wife, Mary, was coming home soon. Carl took 35-year-old Jerry into the southern bedroom of the trailer, and Wayne took 66-year-old Ned to the northern bedroom. They had them turn to face the bed on their knees, and then Carl shot Jerry four times. Oh, I'm sure he's not surviving four shots. No. Wayne shot Ned in the head, but he was able to still get up and fight. Oh, wow. So Carl, he had to shoot Ned, and in total, he was shot six times with two different pistols. Oh, my gosh. So just imagine you're coming home from a long day's work, <sighs> and then you, there are already people in your home, they're threatening you, and you're like, take whatever you want. Right. You know, they're they're begging for their lives, and so... And there was just no negotiating. It sounds like they just killed them straight away. Yeah. They didn't care. And in the book, it sounds like it was Wayne who all of a sudden got this impulse that was like, no, we're going to kill these people. And and he'd never killed anyone before, right? No. He felt like that was something that they had to do. And he was fine with doing it. And he, it sounded like he had to pressure Carl to do the same thing. Like, it didn't sound like he wanted to, but he did it anyway. He went along with him. Yeah. Shortly after, Jimmy, all day, um, he was another one of Ned's sons, drove up on a tractor and parked behind the trailer. He knocked on the back door and Wayne greeted him with a gun. They took his hat, sunglasses, and empty wallet. Now, what were they expecting to find on this farm? Like, they're farmers. It's not... Like, any money, basically, because I don't think they can sell stuff maybe they can like at pawn shops or something but maybe but i mean i don't think that they'd have time if they're on the run but their intention really was to burglarize a bunch of farmers well just burglarize anybody to so they can get some gas money so carl confronted jimmy saying that he came to the trailer because he heard the gunshots so he that's his paranoia he's like oh they must have heard the gunshots and that's why he's here but not realizing I mean, they all meet at the trailer right every day Jimmy denied hearing anything, but then realized that his brother had been shot. Oh, so did he see his um, brother in the bedroom? Yeah. Lying there dead? Oh, my. Carl took him to the sofa and then shot him twice in the back of the head. Afterwards, Carl went outside to move the tractor because the tractor that he parked was in front of their car. So they, they had to be moved before they could escape. Yeah. So while he was out there doing that, Jerry's wife, Mary, drove up to find her crowded driveway. At this point, he's like, what is this place? Like, all these people keep coming back to back to back, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is someone's house, obviously, a family. You can come at any time, right? So... That is the worst. It's just like the, the timing, timing of yeah. everything. It's like everyone... Terrible. Back to back to oh, back. Oh, gosh. And they didn't know this family. They didn't know this area. This was literally just, like, two families intersected at the completely wrong time. Yeah. 
the trailer could have been robbed and they could have been gone on their way to Florida. But like you said, it was the timing of everything. And it's like, it's just like your worst nightmare, right? So um, seeing Mary, Carl snuck off the tractor and then came up from behind her as she was getting groceries out of her car. He pulled the gun out and ordered her into the trailer. He knocked the groceries out of her hand and was robbed of her belongings. While this was happening, Shuggy and Aubrey all day, which is the son and brother of Ned, pulled up in a pickup truck. And when they pulled up, they were laughing and just probably having small talk. And they didn't like get out of the car immediately. But for some reason, Carl thought they were laughing at him. And so Carl took Billy with him and they blocked each side of the truck doors at gunpoint. And it sounded like he had to convince Billy to go out there because Billy didn't want to. Once they entered the trailer, they saw Mary crying uncontrollably, and they were ordered to sit on the kitchen floor. So in the trailer, her father-in-law's dead in one room. One of her brother-in-laws is dead on the sofa, and then her husband is dead in the other room? Or is her husband dead on the sofa? Her husband's dead in one of the uh, bedrooms. So does she know this? She can't see their faces, but all she can see are, like, people. body? Yeah. That's got to be so terrifying. I know. Um, And then it's like the realization of like, okay, well, this is probably going to happen to me too. So she was crying. Um, Wayne collected some towels from the table and then headed to the north bedroom while Carl and George took Mary to the bathroom. And then they left George in charge of watching her. So Wayne took 30-year-old Shuggy to the bedroom where Ned was killed and shot him once. By his father. Yeah. Then Carl took... 57-year-old Aubrey to the bedroom where Jerry's body was and shot him once. So there's a father and a son dead in one bedroom, two brothers in another, and uh, another brother. It was an uncle and a nephew in one room. Oh, Aubrey was the uncle. And then another son on the couch. And yes. Mary's in the bathroom. I'm sure completely terrified. She was, yeah. And from what, um, from what was said in the book, Mary reminded him of his mother, like, they looked similar. When he saw, like, a, a younger picture of his mom, he said it looked like Mary. So how does that make him feel? <laughs> um, he doesn't like that because so you can imagine he has a lot of hatred for his mom. But even if she didn't, I think whatever he ends, I mean, obviously she's going to die. So if that was his excuse for killing her, I think that's just his excuse because he would have killed her either way, no matter what she looked like. Unfortunately, they don't just kill her. No, because she's a woman, so I'm sure. Yeah. When Jerry's body was found, his fingers laid folded over Jerry's as if he was reaching out to hold his nephew's hand. Aww. Mary was taken from the bathroom to the kitchen table where Carl raped her first, and then later by Wayne. They blindfolded and gagged Mary and brought her in the car with them. They drove several miles away where she was dragged out and raped once again by Carl and then by George. They took pictures of her with an instamatic camera that they stole from the trailer before they made her lie on her stomach. They shot 25-year-old Mary once in the back of the head and then once in the back. A photo of her was found moments before her death, and she was nude and frightened. They left her dead while her face laid on an anthill. Wayne realized that he left his ID at the trailer, So they had to rush back to retrieve it before anyone else arrived. After that, they abandoned Richard Miller's car in the woods where they left Mary 
and took her blue and white Chevy Impala. Gosh, poor Mary. It's, it's, I mean, all of them, it's awful, but of course she had it the worst. Yeah. At some point she even said, just kill me because he, Carl was being really like derogatory and was like telling her to like suck his whatever. And she was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like just kill. I'd rather die. Kill me now. And it was just horrific. So Ernestine, Barbara and Bud all day, brother of Ned had all been expecting their family members to show up later that night. And when they didn't, um, it was just assumed that they were out still working on the farm. And I mean, it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to work longer hours because they that was something they were passionate about. They were like, you know, let's yeah. get stuff done. So they really didn't think much of it until the next morning. Um, they realized something was wrong. Bud went to Jerry's trailer and found the bodies of his family members one by one. And after calling 911, he started making calls to inform everyone of the tragic news. The police were horrified as they had never seen a crime scene like this before. And neighbors showed up to show their support by bringing food, money, or whatever they could offer. The community was shocked by what happened in this small, close-knit community. And when Mary's mother got the news in Colquitt, Georgia, the graphic details were too much for her to bear. She was already declining in health, but after she heard what happened to her daughter, she went into a diabetic coma and died a few hours later. Oh my god. So that's another death from this. Yeah. She died of shock or a broken heart. Yeah, it was just too much. And initially, the authorities didn't even want to tell her. So they didn't tell her what happened, but somebody else somehow did. word got around. And when she found out, um, it it was too much for her, which I don't know how anyone... Lina, who's the person that would go up to her and be like, this is exactly what happened to your daughter? I know. That's terrible. Yeah. This is like a devastating day for everybody you know nobody expected this ernestine that was ned's wife barbara that was shuggy's wife and then bud who was the brother of ned and then all the other family members you know they're you just don't expect that news um it's probably quiet little town yeah nothing like this ever happened there so no one would ever think that on may 17th 1973 businesses shut down in seminole county for all to attend the alde funeral the mayor called for a day of mourning, and the entire community, along with surrounding communities, showed up for the service. The service took place on the cemetery grounds of Spring Creek Baptist Church to accommodate the hundreds of people in attendance to include Governor Jimmy Carter's mother, Lillian, and his assistant. This was a church that Ned helped to build, where the family attended frequently. They had their wedding ceremonies there, and they were officers and teachers in its Sunday school. Ned was remembered for his sense of humor and being a grand storyteller. Aubrey was remembered for his skills as a farmer and his love for hunting and fishing. And he was also an accomplished dog trainer. Shuggy was remembered for his strength and his silly nature. Jerry was remembered for his quiet dignity. Mary was remembered for her work in social service and devotion as a wife. Jimmy was remembered for his youthful energy and love of looking at facts about his family in the encyclopedia. And he wanted to write a book about his family and their accomplishments over the years. And they were all remembered fondly for their hard work and devotion to the church. That's so sad. But it says something about the community, like how much they... They were tied to it. And yeah. And loved. Like, yeah. 
for them to shut down, you know, Mm -hmm. close the businesses. It's just heartbreaking. Fleeing to West Virginia, Carl wanted to drop Billy back off in Maryland, but they got caught. So George was the first. Good. Good is right. George was the first to be arrested on the day of the Alde funeral. Oh, that's nice. Right. A little justice. Yeah. He appeared remorseful and confessed that he was unable to sleep after what they had done. He told police that Billy was the only one innocent of rape and murder. Wayne's story differed in that he seemed proud about what he did, and he claimed he killed each of them. Billy's account was similar to George's in telling like how he didn't murder anyone. But Carl didn't say anything other than it was a pretty May day. Really? That's... What a jerk. He just looks like a kid still. That's he does. crazy. Oh my gosh. So they were returned to Georgia, but authorities and GBI knew that the group needed to be kept apart. There were lots of talks of... Because they um, all had previously escaped, I'm sure. Don't put them together. Yeah. And also, they just didn't know what would happen to them. There were talks of, like, you know, if justice wasn't served, that they would be, like... Taken care of. Yeah, basically. So George was held in DeKalb County Jail. Wayne was kept in Fulton County. Billy was held in Hall County Juvenile Center. And Carl was kept in Cobb County Jail. Once they were returned to Seminole County on May 24th, 1973, they were arraigned at the courthouse in Donaldsonville. They each faced six counts of murder, along with the charges of rape, kidnapping, armed robbery, and the theft of Mary Alday's car. The community was outraged by the crimes they committed. Some threatened that if the courts didn't serve justice, they would kill them themselves. The search for Richard Miller's body was coming to a close... Because there were no leads. And Richard Miller was the first guy they carjacked, right? He was the one where they were trying to steal this pickup truck. But he was like the 19-year-old who saw it happening and chased after them. Oh, he tried to stop it. Yeah. Oh, and then he just disappeared. Yes. Oh, they killed him too, didn't they? Well, we have details about that. (sighs) So um, once Mary Alday's body was found, remember they left Richard Miller's car there. Yes. So Wayne confessed to the murder of Richard and agreed to cooperate with authorities if what he said wouldn't be used against him. They took him to Pennsylvania to help locate Richard's body, and he told authorities that he was the one who pulled the trigger since he didn't want the others to have all the fun, quote. Wayne had no geographical sense, so he wasn't any help in the search. Apparently Wayne wasn't that smart, um, so he wasn't very helpful. But Carl, he was like the brains of the group. And he was kind of like the, the leader of it, even though Wayne was the older one. So Carl agreed to help and he told authorities to go to Flintstone, Maryland, and to look up a logging road and to the left of a dumpster. He told them that they tied his hands behind his back, forced him to his knees, and then the group argued over who was going to shoot him as he was pleading for his life. He said without remorse that the moment he chased them, he was a dead man. And who shot him? Was it Wayne or was it Carl? Once Wayne admitted to it, I don't think they offered anything more. They just kind of went with that. So Wayne did kill Richard. I don't know if he really did, but he's the one who confessed to it. And I don't think Carl was going to, you know, say, oh, I was the one who did it. Admit to another murder. Yeah. So the prosecution made a deal with Billy. They felt due to his age and his amount of involvement in the crimes, he wasn't eligible for the death penalty. 
Billy agreed to be the state's witness in all three trials, and instead of going to trial himself, he was sentenced to two 20-year terms for burglary and car theft. And this was something that Carl, like, because they were all separated, right? Carl is thinking, like, Billy would never, like, he would never turn on us because that's family. That's blood, Mm -hmm. right? But not always. Billy made a deal. Yep. And it started to really get him paranoid. Mm -hmm. So Carl's trial started on December 31st, 1974, before Judge Walter Gere. Billy took the stand on January 4th, and Carl glared at him from the defense table. Billy testified, As to the robbery and murders, and added that Carl was laughing when he came out of the bedroom after shooting Shuggy. He said that that damn bastard begged for mercy. Closing arguments were completed on January 5th and went to the jury. 68 minutes later, they found him guilty on all counts. And during the penalty phase, it only took the jury 38 minutes to give him the death penalty. George's trial started nine days later and continued in that same format. 58 minutes after the jury got the case, they found him guilty on all counts and was also given the death penalty. Wayne Coleman's trial ended with a guilty verdict on all counts. After the jury deliberated for 50 minutes, he was given the death penalty and smiled and yelled, thanks judge, before being led away. Is he arrogant or what is he? I think, yeah, I think he is arrogant. No empathy, but also just just seems like he thinks it's funny, all of it. Yeah, he didn't care. Judge Gear set the execution dates as February 15th, 1974, for each of the defendants. And he set them all for the same day because he felt that, you know, since all these family members, the victims, they died on the same day, they should too. But mandatory and automatic appeals were made to the Supreme Court, the Georgia Supreme Court, which put a stop to that process. In 1975, Billy was one of the only defendants that was not sentenced to the death penalty. He was returned to Maryland to stand trial for the murder of Richard Wayne Miller. Billy? Yes. I thought he cut a deal. No? He did, but I guess because he didn't get the death penalty, they went after him for Richard Wayne Miller's case. Hmm. Oh, to try and get him so he could be executed too? I don't know... I don't really know if it's because the other three were already sentenced to the death penalty, like that kind of didn't allow them to pursue like charges or a conviction for this case. Well, um, probably not since he was the state's witness. They can't, they can't go after him on those cases. So he wasn't a witness in the Miller case. He was just a he witness. He was a witness for the Alde, the, the Alde, Alde massacre. Okay. Yeah. And then they went after him in the other one because they wanted to get everybody I think so. And I think if it wasn't that, then it was just to have someone be accountable or have him be accountable in some way in that case. Did he even do anything to Richard? Not that I can tell, but he was he was charged as an accomplice. I mean, it's the same charges as the person who commits it. If you're an accomplice. huh? Yeah. Well, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to 60 years, which would run concurrent to his 40-year sentence. So he's never getting out. Well, he gets out. So um, He does. Yeah. Uh, Carl agreed to an interview with a writer from the Albany Herald, and he claimed that he sent Wayne a note to his cell telling him happy anniversary on the date of the Alde murders. 
he threatened Billy that if he was ever to get out, he would be the first person that he would kill. And he did spout a lot of nonsense about how he didn't like hardworking churchgoers and would kill more people if he could. In the same breath, he would also say like he had a lot of sympathy for himself and um, that people should feel sorry for him for being locked up. I don't think anybody feels sorry for him. No. Being, he said that being locked up prevented him from like being out in the world and he had a lot of hate in him. And his own mother actually called for his execution, stating that she did not want her sons around if they were going to be killing people. Well, she really didn't want them around at all. <laughs> so This is true. I take that with a grain of salt from her. Yeah, agreed. On November 26th, 1985, a guard at the Georgia Classification and Diagnostic Center in Jackson discovered the entire front portion of a ventilation system in Carl's cell had been cut through. And so he made it where there was like only a single set of thin steel bars in the skylight above the cell. He was planning to escape only a few hours later with three other inmates. And, you know, they have a history of being able to escape places. So they kind of already know how to do this. Yeah. On December 9th, 1985, a three judge panel of the 11th Circuit of the United States Court of Appeals set aside the convictions and death sentences, and granted all three new trials on the grounds of inflammatory and prejudicial pretrial publicity. And I'm taking that to mean, um, I guess, because it was in the media. Um, I'm sure it was all over that town and surrounding towns. Yes. So the fact that they probably felt like the jury had been tainted, maybe, is what the grounds were. But that's just my assumption. After another retrial... Carl was found guilty and sentenced to the death penalty again. Wayne was found guilty on all counts. However, because a juror blatantly said that they wouldn't vote for the death penalty, the sentencing ended in a mistrial and he was given a life sentence and would be eligible for parole in 15 years. Ew, Wayne? Yeah. No. I know. Well, just eligible for parole doesn't mean he gets out. It doesn't. Yeah. It just means there's a possibility. They'll review his case. Right. So George was next, but the Georgia General Assembly had decreed that mentally unfit individuals could not be executed in Georgia. Uh, he was. Did given... he have a mental disability? Yes, they found him to be mentally unfit. He had a mental disability. Right. He was given multiple IQ tests and never scored higher than a 68. But the, I guess, mental requirement is 70. So since it never reached that, they figured he wasn't mentally fit. On July 14th, 1988, he pled guilty to six counts of murder and sentenced to six consecutive life terms. Wow. So he's got a longer sentence. And then Billy has a longer sentence than Wayne, who did most of the murders. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, because George (laughs) couldn't get the death penalty, they just just put him in for six life sentences consecutive. But Billy's got a hundred and some years. For what? Robbery, being an accomplice to a murder. Yeah, I can't say but, that he really had that great of a deal. Yeah, it sounds like he got a really bad deal compared to these guys who one of them is up for parole in 15 years. I mean, George doesn't sound like he's got a great deal, but still. And then what did Carl get? He got the death penalty again. Okay, okay Carl did get the death penalty again. Yeah. But yeah, Billy didn't get a good deal. No. The least violent, um, least involved one got the worst, well, second worst deal, obviously, 
death row is the worst one. Well, Carl continued to appeal his death sentence, but on May 6, 2003, he was to be executed by lethal injection. He requested pork, macaroni, pinto beans, cabbage, and carrot salad, dinner roll, chocolate cake, and fruit punch as his last meal. That sounds awful, except for the mac and cheese. That's what he chose for his last meal? I know, but he didn't even eat it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I know. It's interesting to hear That's about so what weird. people... That almost sounds like school food, like cafeteria food, like really bad. But you know what? He probably didn't have a big palate, you know? He probably didn't eat really great food, so... This is probably what he knew. And then he didn't even eat it. Yeah. Okay. He was pronounced dead at 8.07 p.m. No one from his family appeared, but the surviving Alde family members were present. And he actually holds the record for being on death row longer than any other inmate in the United States. I didn't know that. Oh, how many years was he on death row? I think it was like, was it 30? 30 years. And so let me look, let me fact the all day family, the surviving all day members were there watching his execution. Yes. Like they, I mean, this family's waiting for justice, you know? Yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem like they're getting it. And one of the brothers of Ned was actually approached asking him, like, do you want us to take care of this? Right. And he said no, because he had faith in the judicial system and I don't think he ever really felt that justice was served. Even with the execution? I think that they were expecting all of them to be executed. Oh, right. You know? Mm-hmm. On April 4th, 2006, George died of a heart attack in prison in Reedsville, Georgia. Uh, he was 68 years old. In 1993, Billy was released from prison after being paroled. So he had served 20 years. On May 4, 2009, Billy Isaacs died in Florida, where he relocated, and he was 51 years old. Does it say what he died from? It doesn't. I think he died, like, from something natural. That guy looks so creepy. Wayne Coleman? He does. Uh, he reminds you of, like, a... Like a villain from some horror movie. He just looks spooky. He does look really um, scary. But he's only 5'4"? Five, 5'3"? I guess he wouldn't be that scary. He's shorter than you. (laughs) Yes. But still, I mean, he could be a creepy old short man. Yeah, but I mean, obviously Giddy's like 6'1", looking like that. Well, I think, obviously, his time in in prison has not shrunk him a foot. Been good to him. (laughs) Apparently, he, like, had lost a lot of weight. He appeared, like, emaciated, lost a lot of his hair when he was um, in court, like, going through the trials. He just has that evil, dark stare. He does, yeah. If we, um, we'll probably post some story. of these photos. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't say how he passed, how Billy passed away, but it sounds like it was from natural causes. Yeah, he was 51. It could easily have been a heart attack. Yeah, it could have been. Wayne Coleman, he continues to serve his sentence at the Georgia State Prison of Reedsville, and he was denied parole and is currently 74 years old. Parole was denied. Good. Yeah. He does not need to be around the public no even as an elderly man no Mm-mm, nope um sadly after the death of the alde family members the farming family business could not be sustained as you can imagine right. like and they were like the main guys the main men who <sighs> were taking care of the land and um it was so much land but the neighbors did they tried to help but it just wasn't feasible 
The farming equipment was sold, and Ned had deeded his property to his three sons, Jerry, Shuggy, and Jimmy. And they were all murdered. Yes. And since Mary, from what I'm reading, since Mary outlived them, since she was like the last person who was killed. So the mother didn't live? She did, but I guess because Because he deeded it to the sons, it would be the sons next of kin. Yeah. Oh, no. Was she kicked off her farm? Basically. Um, that is so sad. It her is really. family is murdered and then she loses her house. Yeah. I'm not sure like who actually got the land. Um, I think it was inherited to someone maybe on Mary's side since she was the last to be killed. Did Mary have children? No, they didn't have any kids. So like maybe a sibling of hers? Possibly. Gosh. And they didn't give that poor woman any land. Well, they gave her a small piece parcel of land where she built a modest home. Okay, that's good. But whoever has the land, they ended up selling it like by the plot. And in 1988, Ernestine Alday passed away and was buried next to her husband. So she only had one surviving child from the incident, right? They had nine kids. The daughters were alive. And I think they did have another son, actually. But he was like in another state. Um, I think he was like in the army or something. So he deeded it to them because they were like the ones that were still living there and took like helped him take care of the land. It's a terrible, you. awful story. I know. And that's why, you know, after obviously after I finished reading it, it's such a devastating book because there's no happy ending anywhere. There's no one ends up in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, it starts off bad and then it just gets worse. Yeah. Like we talked about, it's like what I got from this was like, if these two people or these two families, they never had to come in contact with each other. Maybe if something had changed or something was different with, you know, the murderer's childhood, like if they had maybe received love, knew what that was and didn't become the people that they were, you don't feel bad for them. But you do think about if things were different. And I guess you could say that with anything, but especially with the situation, like maybe they wouldn't have ended up, you know, in all these reform schools and committing all these different crimes to kind of like just try to live a decent life you know but in the end they made a choice i agree take a bunch of people's lives and they brutalized the woman they made that choice they did and it's like i just like if they had just taken stuff from the trailer they had just got the gas took the stuff and left or maybe like the family just didn't like they just kind of like took their time and like didn't come home like at that time yeah, it's like it's that just chance like... encounter of like if one little thing had been different like their lives wouldn't have intersected they'd be okay but they had no idea yeah how would you know yeah so hard heavy case i had never heard about it we live, in, we georgia. live in georgia yeah i've never heard of this case it's awful it is yeah and you said it's the second worst massacre yeah, according to that book, but obviously that book was written in the 80s, I think. So mm-hmm. things have definitely changed since yeah. then. So um, I don't know if that's still an accurate number, but it's horrific it's nonetheless. Too, yeah. So on to something that's not so heavy. So episode 46 is about Manuela Orlandi, and she's the Vatican girl that you may have heard of on the Netflix series. I actually haven't heard about this one. I've, I've never, like heard about it i've never watched the show 
very excited to talk to you about this because this one brings in a lot of theories. And so I want to get your take on everything after I've shown you the evidence that's presented. I want to find out what you think happened to her because she's been missing for over three decades. The family oh wow, still doesn't know where she is. I guess we'll get into it. We will get into it in episode 46. All right. Well, I'm ready for some conspiracy theories, something that is not this. This so. was, yeah, this was awful. <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, if you have any show ideas, you can email us at freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. And follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. YouTube, Facebook. Oh, YouTube, that's right. We only have one thing posted on YouTube. I know. We need to actually post some things on YouTube, but follow us. If we get enough followers, we'll start posting stuff. <laughs> 2023. We're going to get some stuff on there. We Don't are. worry. It's a good year. Yeah. Rate us five stars, right? Yes. Re- leave us a review. Tell us if you can hear Jennifer's dog in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until next time. Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. Bye. Bye.